There is one question that has occupied both Protestants and Catholics alike over the last 505 years. I'm talking about the question of sola scriptura. In Latin, it means scripture alone. This was one of the five pillars of the Reformation, the others being sola fide, faith alone, sola gratia, grace alone, solus Christus, Christ alone, and soli deo gloria, to the glory of God alone. Martin Luther called sola scriptura the formal principle of the Reformation. It was the one that guided the theology of the Reformation. And his Roman Catholic opponents rejected this doctrine then, and down to this very day it remains a contested teaching between the two camps, Catholic and Protestant. Now, maybe right away you're asking, hey, if Protestant and Catholic scholars have been debating this for over half of a millennium, what chance do I have to suss it all out? And yet, suss you must. Why must you suss it out? Let me give you three reasons. But first, allow me to introduce myself. This is Worldview Legacy, the show that helps Christian laymen to become the worldview leaders that their families and churches need. My name is Joel Sedekes. I'm a Bible teacher and former pastor who used to defend the Christian worldview the completely wrong way until God changed my attitude and my approach. Now, I help Christian fathers and families and students of all ages to defend their faith with confidence and to pass it on to the younger generation. Now, I want to help you answer this question. Is Sola Scriptura really true? And the first reason you should be able to answer it is this. Sola Scriptura directly affects your life as a follower of Jesus Christ. This doctrine deals directly with Scripture, which is God's written word to His people. Are you one of His people? Properly understanding Scripture and its importance is a huge part of what it means to know God and to follow Jesus. Now, the second reason that you're Uh, that you need to know this is that your kids need to understand Sola Scriptura. They're going to ask you about it someday. Or you know what? Even if they don't ask you, someone is going to ask them about it. And you want your children to grow up ready to answer the world's questions. That's a big part of how you are going to build a worldview legacy for your family. Sola Scriptura is bound up with all of that. Now, probably the best book that I can recommend on Sola Scriptura is James White's book, Scripture Alone. A lot of what I say here is drawn directly from that book, and it's available on Amazon, wherever you get your books. I have personally benefited from that book, and I realized how much I had been benefited when I was asked a question about Sola Scriptura during a recent Apologetics AMA, which stands for Ask Me Anything that I did on the chat app Discord. In this episode, we're going to go back and forth between me talking right now and the words that I said during that AMA. And every time we switch, you're going to hear a whoosh sound. That's just to let you know that we're switching from one to the other. All right, now, when it comes to the question, here's how it was asked to me. How can Sola Scriptura be true if scripture never lists the books of the canon within itself to begin with. Can you see the dilemma here? We Protestants believe in scripture alone. That means that scripture is 
sufficient. It has all we need. But in order to say that, we have to define what Scripture is, which books are in and which ones are out. But Scripture never gives us that list. So it seems like sola scriptura doesn't work. Are you wondering about the answer to this? I've wondered about this a lot. How would you answer? This is why we need to do a deep dive into sola scriptura. And along the way, I'm going to share with you what I said during that AMA with some additional notes. So to help us answer the big question, is sola scriptura true? Let's look at the following five questions together. One, what does sola scriptura mean? Two, what are some characteristics that scripture has that no other book has? That's very important. Three, if scripture is sufficient, what does that mean for all other authorities? And four, how do we really know which books should be in the canon of scripture, included in the Bible? Now, if at the end you still have more questions, and if this is the kind of stuff that you like learning about, you need to know about my free community. It's called the Think Squad, and it's where you can join over 600 others who are on the same journey towards building a worldview legacy for their family. A legacy where husbands and wives and kids can share their faith with confidence and answer the world's questions from the Bible. I'll tell you more about that at the end. Now, let's tackle our five questions in order. Question one, what does sola scriptura mean? In chapter two of his book, Scripture Alone, James White starts with several things that sola scriptura does not mean. It does not mean the Bible is a universal encyclopedia. It does not mean that the Bible contains every detail about the life and ministry of Jesus. It does not mean that the Bible is a preventative against multiple denominations springing up. It does not mean the Bible must produce perfect agreement of opinion among believers. It does not mean that the Bible prevents problems arising from not reading it. It does not mean that the Bible is all we have. It does not mean that our only options are, one, me under a tree in the woods alone, or two, the infallible Pope in Rome. It does not mean that the Bible was sufficient prior to its being written, and it does not mean that the Bible muzzles the Holy Spirit. All right, so so much for what sola scriptura does not mean. Now, how is sola scriptura actually defined? Here's how I answered during that AMA. Sola Scriptura is the doctrine that Scripture alone is the sole infallible rule of faith for the church. So a rule of faith is that which, according to James White, that which governs and guides what we believe and why. In other words, Sola Scriptura affirms, in White's words, the freedom of Scripture to rule as God's word for the church, disentangled from papal and ecclesiastical magisterium and tradition. So a corollary to this is the idea that, again, James White's words, all a person must believe to be a follower of Christ is found in scripture and in no other source. Sola Scriptura means that scripture doesn't need any help from the Pope or the rulers of the Roman Catholic Church or any other church or organization in order to tell us everything we need to know to follow Jesus. And the Bible doesn't need their permission either. There is nothing that needs to be added 
to God's written word, the Bible, for the purposes of knowing and following Jesus. Now, let's look at question two. What are some characteristics that scripture has that no other book has? Once we answer this, we're going to know why scripture is so unique and why it stands alone. Again, here's how I answered in that AMA. Scripture has three attributes that no other source of religious authority can even touch. Sufficiency, certainty, infallibility. Scripture testifies this about itself. Jesus said that Scripture cannot be broken. 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be fully equipped for every good work. So Scripture's testimony about itself in its entirety is that it is all we need for every good work. All right, so the idea that Scripture is sufficient comes from Scripture itself. What do we need for faith and godliness? Scripture alone, sola scriptura. Bound up with this truth is the idea that Scripture is certain. It's from God. God cannot lie. God does not mislead us or falter or accidentally give false information. If God has said something, that something is true. And furthermore, Scripture is also infallible. It cannot fail. Scripture cannot be broken, according to Jesus in John 10.35. Everything God says in Scripture will be accomplished, as Jesus says again in Matthew 5.18. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Scripture is sufficient. It is certain. It is infallible. What else has these characteristics? Nothing. Because nothing else is breathed out by God in the same way. And that's what the Apostle Paul calls Scripture in 2 Timothy 3.16. All right, so on to question three. If Scripture is sufficient, what does that say for all other authorities? Here's how I answered. Faith in Jesus Christ is not a salvific work, but trusting in Jesus every day, orienting your life around Jesus, that is one of those good works that Scripture equips us for. So, once we see that Scripture itself testifies to its own sufficiency, that right there knocks every other source of authority off any pedestal. Because if we needed an external source to the Bible to authenticate Scripture for us, then Scripture would not be our sufficient source, fully equipping us for every good work. Um, Scripture would have, Scripture would be, you know, would get us maybe most of the way there, but let's say we would still need the magisterium of the Roman Catholic Church to authenticate Scripture. See, it's the Bible, it's Scripture that tells us about how to live for Jesus. So if we needed the Roman Church or some other organization to authenticate Scripture for us, then we would need that organization, that church, in order to live for Jesus. We would need something else other than Scripture to equip us for every good work. The first step, the first good work that we do as believers, the first step of living for Jesus each day is knowing and believing God's Word. 
If knowing and believing, trusting, walking by God's word is a good work, and scripture is not profitable for that because we need something else, then God's word would be dependent on the Roman church. And what then? So faith in scripture itself would still be a good work that we would need to go outside of scripture in order to be able to perform. If the Bible teaches that it is sufficient, and it does teach that, then it is sufficient. Scripture negates, it invalidates all external authorities that would try and usurp the ultimate authority of Scripture. Now, let's look at question four. How do we really know which books should be in the canon of Scripture? There are four facts which will help us answer this. I shared these four facts with my discussion partner on the AMA. Here is fact number one. The Old Testament canon, which did not include the Apocrypha, by the way, and I've talked about that before. The Old Testament canon, the Hebrew scriptures, the Tanakh, that was recognized, that was solidified by Jesus' day. And during that 400-year period prior to Jesus, it was well known within Israel, within Second Temple Judaism, that there had been no new revelation from God. So by the time the New Testament comes along, the Old Testament canon is solid, recognized. All right, so what about the New Testament? This brings us to fact number two. The New Testament canon took shape very early, even as it was being written. The New Testament canon, we begin to see it take shape even within the pages of Scripture itself. Peter authenticates the writings of Paul for example. Uh, He says that some twist the scriptures. He said that some twist Paul's writings as they do the other scriptures. Jesus himself also authorized the writings of the gospels and the epistles when he said that the Holy Spirit would remind his apostles of everything that he did. That's the gospels. And that they would guide, he would guide them into all truth. That's the epistles. So the Old Testament canon was solidified, recognized, And then it hints at the New Testament canon. All right, now here's fact number three. And as the early church would meet for various councils to discuss the books that were going to be part of Scripture or that actually already were part of Scripture, but that they were going to recognize, they had criteria by which they could judge. These criteria, these rules, I would say, are consistent with Scripture itself. Now, I don't know if they derived these rules from Scripture, but I will say they could have. These rules are derivable from Scripture. They are found in Scripture. They are very biblical. Here's the first rule. It had to be apostolic, meaning it had to be written at the time of the apostles by an apostle or an apostolic associate. It was to the apostles that Jesus gave his promises that the Holy Spirit would help them write the New Testament. We see that in John 14, 26 and 16, 13, when Jesus promises that the Holy Spirit would help them to remember what he said, and they would also, the Holy Spirit would also guide them into all truth. A book in the New Testament could also be written by an apostolic associate, however, a close companion of one of the apostles. Why? 
because they were in a position to get firsthand eyewitness testimony directly from the apostles. So in that sense, a book like that is still apostolic. So for example, Luke was not an apostle per se, but he was a companion of Paul. So Luke's gospel is canon. Here's the second rule. It had to be theologically consistent with other scriptures. So this is why right off the bat, books like the quote-unquote Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, the Gospel of Jesus' wife, which is a forgery that came out a couple years ago. These are all off the table. They were not apostolic, weren't written during the times of the apostles, not theologically consistent. Consistency is important, and it's biblical because Scripture cannot contradict itself. That would make God a liar, and the Bible says that God is true and not a liar in Romans 3.4. God does not change in Malachi 3.6. It says that. So, this is really important. Now, here's the third rule. And they also had to be recognized by all the churches. So, that's important as well. The reason for this rule might not be apparent at first, but it becomes pretty clear when you think about it. Why did all the churches have to recognize a book as scripture? Because that was strong evidence that the Holy Spirit had guided the Lord's church universally to accept a book as being breathed out by God, as being scripture, as being from God. God's truth is communicated to God's people by God's spirit, as 1 Corinthians 2.3 says. It says, quote, and we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual, end quote. There's this theme running throughout Scripture that the Holy Spirit teaches God's people, guides the church both individually and corporately. You see this all throughout the book of Acts. So the canon was determined by the Holy Spirit. It's his idea. It did not come into existence by an official statement from the Roman Catholic Church or the early church or Emperor Constantine, it was produced and authenticated by the Spirit of God. And what's going on there is not, this is not the same thing as a magisterium in Rome or some central authority declaring by fiat that these books are canon. The Pope in Rome does not have the authority to declare which books are scripture. Neither did the Emperor Constantine. God's not real big on these big centralized authorities. They can recognize what God has done, but that is the extent of it. Scripture itself gives us the ability to determine which books are from God, and this ability has been granted to the church and exercised throughout history in real time. Now, someone might push back that this is something that Christians disagree on, you know, which books belong in the canon, and that is true. There are some churches that even recognize like the book of First Enoch. However, that does not disprove the work of the Holy Spirit or the truth of Sola Scriptura. As we've seen, when it comes to sufficiency, Scripture itself negates all these other authorities. So no pope or magisterium or council has the right to override Scripture or invalidate the principle of sola scriptura. Now, I do believe there are good internal reasons for rejecting the book of First Enoch, as well as the Apocrypha, or as the Catholics call them, the Deuterocanonical books. If you want to learn more about this, James White does a very good deep dive in his book, Sola Scriptura. We can't get into all of it right now, but he does answer the question, where did the canon of scripture come from? And I I recommend that you go and read that book. So let's recap. What does Sola Scriptura mean? Sola Scriptura 
is the doctrine that Scripture alone is the sole, infallible rule of faith for the Church. What are some of the characteristics that Scripture has that no other book has? Sufficiency, certainty, infallibility. If Scripture is sufficient, what does that mean for all other authorities? It means they are negated, at least insofar as someone would try to make them higher authorities than Scripture. For the Christian, for the Church, Scripture is the final authority. And how do we know which books really belong in the canon of Scripture? Well, we can know the the Old Testament because we know which books Jesus had in his Old Testament and which ones he recognized as authoritative in his day. So that settles it for the Old Testament. And we can know the New Testament because the New Testament itself hints at which books are authoritative and the Holy Spirit guided the early church to recognize, not authorize, which books are included in the New Testament based on the criteria which are perfectly in line, and I would even say you can derive them from Scripture itself. Now, one thing that James White says over and over in his book, Scripture Alone, is that the canon of Scripture is an artifact of revelation. It doesn't have to be revealed in Scripture. It's an artifact of artifact of revelation. That means it's God's idea. God produced the canon. He has a purpose for every one of the books that are included in it, and he himself has decided which books are included, which ones make the cut in that list. Now, your kids are going to ask you about this, or they will be asked about this. You will be asked about this. You need to know how to answer, and now you know. Now, there is a free community that discusses questions like this and how to answer them for yourself and for your household, for your local area. I invite you to join, and I invite you to get connected to others who are on the same journey as you. Get access to the resources that we're sharing and stuff to help you pass on your faith. The group is called the Think Squad. It's on Facebook. All you have to do is go to facebook.com slash groups slash Think Squad, just like it sounds, T-H-I-N-K-S-Q-U-A-D. Answer the short membership questions, and that is all that it takes. Well, thanks for listening to Worldview Legacy. This episode was produced by yours truly, Joel Sedekes, and is a production of the Think Institute. We equip believers to explain, share, and defend the Christian message. <laughs>